Hi, this is uh, Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of new companies, new ideas in science, sometimes even a little bit of a look at the future. And uh, today, I think we may get some of all of that. <laughs> so I'm here with uh, Oriana Papenzogby from AOADX. Great to uh, to see you, at least uh, uh, Zoom style. Likewise, great to be here. You know, often I start these off by saying a little something about what the company does, but I think we may need to sort of help folks get a little bit of a sense of what your company does because it's not something folks hear about every day. So maybe you should go first and explain to folks who don't know you and aren't investors what AOADX is all about. Sure. At a high level, we're focused on the early diagnosis of ovarian cancer. Primarily, ovarian cancer is very challenging to diagnose. There are no tests available today other than a woman having to go to surgery and get a biopsy. The symptoms are not specific. It often takes months and months for a woman to get diagnosed. And unfortunately, 80% of the cases are diagnosed when a woman is already stage three and stage four. Survival rates are only 28% at that point. So what we're working on is a blood-based test that is specific for ovarian cancer and sensitive enough to pick up disease at stage one and stage two as well, allowing a woman to get a diagnosis much sooner and be able to get to treatment faster than women that are diagnosed stage one and stage two actually have a 90% survival rate. Yeah, so. I get it. And when we first talked and you know started going back and forth uh, about this, I was flabbergasted to realize that there was no standard diet, that, that you know, it was basically you go in if you're a woman and you've got cramps or pains or sort of non-specific symptom. And it's like, well, we could send you home and maybe you'll die or we can cut you open. And that just seemed like so 19th century to me. I was shocked. Yeah, there hasn't been any innovation in this space in years. I mean, I think many reasons leading into this. A, historically, women's health is underinvested in. Um, and B, it is a very, very challenging disease. It spreads very quickly. There are various different subtypes. And as you said, the symptoms are not specific. A woman has bloating, abdominal pain, cramping. You don't think cancer when you have those symptoms a lot of the time. Right. And especially amongst the premenopausal population, doctors, they don't have many options. It's not that they don't necessarily want to help, is that they don't know what to do. They don't have a test. Right. You can send her to surgery, but the risks of surgery are very high. So it ends up being this wait and see that doesn't lead to a lot of good results for women. So what you guys doing are a, a type of what's being called liquid biopsy, where you're trying to find an early, very specific indication that doesn't require being cut open and all that. So how do you do that? What do you look for? What are you guys looking for? And do you know right now exactly what it is? Are you looking at a number of things that might be it? Um, and how are you going to go about finding it? Oh, we know what we're looking for. These <laughs> targets are called gangliosides. Um, and essentially, they're lipid structures that live on the surface of tumor cells. And the family of gangliosides is quite large. There's about 40 different of them. And certain cancers present with certain types of those gangliosides. Think like a matrix, these cancers, these gangliosides. They've never been exploited before for diagnostic purposes. Nobody has ever tried to develop a blood test for them because they're so hard to extract out of the blood. 
And so the innovation that our scientific collaborator, Professor Saragovia at McGill University came up with was a method to extract them from blood as well as proprietary antibodies to bind to them and detect to them. So the test itself, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You have your target, you have your antibody, you need it to fit in perfectly so you can pick it up, um, right. but only pick that up, like you said, specifically that and not something else as well. And essentially that's what we're developing in, in an assay. Got it. So you've got a, a one-to-one -one match sort of, of hook and receptor that yep. will allow you to grab these things and uh, in some way pick them up. Now, once you grab them, um, how are you going to identify them? So are you going to you know, just sort of do physical analysis of the blood? Some of these things do phosphors, you know, so they sort of glow if you get enough of them or in some other way uh, make clear the presence of these once you yep. uh, hooked onto them. What about here? In this case, we're using ELISA technology and we're actually quantifying how much of them is present in the sample. So and ELISA so, technology for those uh, who actually have like normal lives is? <laughs> um, ELISA technology um, is an immunoassay technology. That's another big fancy word. Um, essentially what you're looking at in this technology is utilizing antibodies to bind to a target, allowing you to essentially create a readout, a numerical readout, and then you can use those numbers to develop an algorithm. And so that allows us to see what the level is in background, background being normal, healthy as well, um, the levels in cancer, and then develop an algorithm that says, okay, above this threshold, then we read out a positive or a negative. Right. Yeah, and so one way maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong for folks maybe to think about this is if the doctor's feeling all over your body and would go, oh, there's a lump. Uh, this is sort of the statistical equivalent. Exactly and right. Where are you in this now? So that sounds like it'd be uh, a helpful thing, very helpful thing to have available uh, next Tuesday, a year from <laughs> now, five years from now. Uh, what are the sort of stages uh, you yeah. have to go through to make this real? So our goal is to be on the market by 2025. The stages leading up to that are broken down at a high level. We have to finalize the design of the assay. We have to do a live patient trial for FDA approval. And then we have to go on and get our FDA approval to be even allowed to be on the market. There's so much more that happens alongside it that we have to think of reimbursement, how insurance companies, you know, are going to pay for this. We have to think about how we're going to drive adoption. So convincing doctors to actually use this on their patients. Um, but from a technical point of view, we have a really early prototype at this point that we've tested out and works really well in a lab setting. And now we have to develop it to a scalable assay, so something that's actually going to be able to run on many labs across the world, um, get the clinical trial successful results, have the FDA approval, and then we can come to market. So uh, there you are, a woman sitting on top of this very scientific company. And I happen to know, because I do my homework, that your degree is in like economics. <laughs> and yes. how did you how did that happen? That is a great question. When I studied economics prior to, I would say, switching majors at Boston University, I was a biochem major and uh -huh. surely was going to become a doctor. That was my career trajectory. I come from a family of doctors. And so 
little did I know that really was not what I wanted to do, but I knew that I, I was passionate about the sciences. I grew up in the Middle East, and for the most part, career paths are very cookie cutter. You're a lawyer, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, and there isn't much in between, or there wasn't much in between, I should say. A lot has changed in the last 12 years. And when I when I got to college, I think I realized that there was so much more to having a career in the sciences than being a doctor or being in the lab. And it was my first job when I actually my internship when I was in my senior year, where I interned at a, um, a mid stage um, diagnostics company also focused on women's health. And I really got a taste to understand what are all the other elements that go into patient care and developing innovation and bringing products to market. Yes, there are the people that invent them, there are the scientists, there are the people that study it, but there's a whole group of individuals that actually really work hard to ensure that these end up in the hands of doctors or in the hands of patients that actually have, and that this medical innovation has an impact. Um, and so I ended up, starting a career in women's health um, without even realizing that I would stay here <laughs> my entire career, thankfully now. Um, and then from there, it was kind of opportunity after opportunity, various different career steps, um, all in the healthcare industry. By the time I had gone through all those experiences, I said, okay, well, I really want to stay in the space. I want to continue innovating. I want to find something that I want to find a problem and a solution that needs a connector. And so that's kind of where I came in. And I went on the hunt with my co-founders and we looked at IP and we looked at patents. I think the statistic is 90% of medical innovation stays in academia. That's right. huge. Right. And so there are fantastic people developing who don't necessarily have the desire to commercialize. And then there's people like me that know and, and love to commercialize, but could not develop anything, even if I tried. Right. Um, and so, you know, that connection of how do we get that innovation into the industry, into the hands right. of the people that need it the most is kind of where I come in. So I'm it. curious, you were looking at all these things and there's this professor at McGill with this, uh, capability, what was it about him or it that caused you to stop and go, wait a minute, this is the one, or did you know it was the one, you know, like love at first sight or only after um, a whole lot of work back home, did you realize it? So we had been looking at a lot of things when we came across this, somebody had introduced us and said, I saw this professor at a conference and I think he's onto something. So we started to, we were connected with him and he shared with us his data in the most transparent and honest way from a, from a pure academic, this is interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. And we saw that data and said, if this, if this data is true, and this was such a small sample set, if this data is true, there's something really interesting here, but why has nobody done this before? And this is the question that all of our investors have asked, why has nobody done this before? From the initial look, we were very intrigued. And then we dove a lot deeper into it. We really started to understand what were these targets? What, wh how had he run these experiments? How much could we rely on this data? Really start to under, understand more of the market. What were the challenges with ovarian cancer? And the more we looked into it and the more we worked with him, we realized that it was a really good fit for our expertise and our passion as well. Professor Saragovi is 
really talented, but also a phenomenal collaborator. He is very transparent. He really, he's excited about this project um, and he works very closely with us, um, which really facilitates the relationship. We had been investigating a few other things where the relationship wasn't necessarily a match, but the technology was great or vice versa. The relationship was great, but the technology was not necessarily right. that enticing. Um, and here we found ourselves in a position where we had a phenomenal relationship with, with, the, with the scientist and the technology was really astounding. You mentioned when we were talking earlier that one of the key steps is clinical trial. And I was curious about that because uh, in this case, if you get you know, your sort of standard 300 people and you run them through a trial, you need to find folks that have cancer. Yeah. And so, you know, you could just have the wrong 300 folks. Good news, yeah. you're all healthy. Yeah. So do you actually have to run this somehow blind against samples from folks you know have cancer or there's a population that goes through your clinical trial have to be enormous? Uh, or, or what do you do to make sure that you can say, ah, well, we found all the cancer in this group of women, which means you got to have women that actually have cancer. Yep. So I would say it's a mix of that, actually. What we do with the what's known as the inclusion criteria. So who do we select? Who do we allow to participate in the trial are only going to be women with signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer. So it's not sort of your broad everyday woman population, because you're right. absolutely right. A trial that way would require 200,000 women <laughs> to get to the prevalence for ovarian cancer. So we are starting with a population of all those women that have signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer. And from there with our statistical analysis now, we've concluded that we need to run um, a trial of about 600 women. And from 600 women, we should pick up the number of cancer cases that are uh, equivalent to the prevalence in the United States right now. So that means how often you actually see ovarian cancer among that group. So what next? So the next year, for you market-wise uh, and the next year for you investor-wise, we come back and do this again, same time next year. What do you think you'll be talking about? Where do you think the company will be at? I am aiming this time next year, we'll have what's known as our assay feasibility and prototype complete. So taking this invention from the academic lab and having converted it into a scalable prototype now at this point, um, and we're actually planning to have our first, um, I would say, milestone and, and next step with the FDA as well. So the FDA has this classification called breakthrough designation, which right. is for certain devices, diagnostics or therapeutics where there is a huge need, it's a life-threatening disease, or there's a huge need and there's nothing on the market for it today. And so we're going to be applying for that by the end of this year. So by this time next year, we should know from the FDA what our classification would be when it comes to breakthrough. Um, and then that will allow us to really start planning for the next step. So we have our prototype assay, we have our clearance with or our understanding, I should say, with the FDA to move then into designing the clinical trial and moving on from there. Sounds exciting. Now that uh, I'm on the record for it, you'll, yeah, you can yeah, ask me about to. it we'll every be, year. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll play this like one of those old Johnny Carson clips. Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? <laughs> and, uh, and see the, the joys of live television, as it were. Well, we'll come back next year and see uh, where it stands. I mean, from our point of view, investing in you was uh, easy. We look for a uh, big impact 
that's here. Novel approach. This has never been done before. Uh, real deep grounding in science as opposed to just kind of fly by night and a great founder and team and it was all here. So we're uh, uh, very excited about this. We uh, can't wait to see what happens next and we hope that the potential of this new approach is uh, there. The whole notion of moving more and more toward prevention, early detection, away from crisis intervention and all those costs. I mean, apart from everything else, the cost of catching this early is a trifle compared to the cost in every respect of catching it late. Even if Absolutely. you happen to survive it, your life is wrecked and your job is wrecked and the costs are astronomical. And, and this is an entirely different, potentially an entirely different experience for the human being involved. That's what we hope can happen. That's exactly right. We're we're super excited to have uh, all the Joyance team, you know, supporting us and, and on this journey with us. Same here. Well, we'll come back next year now and we'll have to see yeah. how it goes. Great to <laughs> talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs>